Welcome to This Week in Ringer Sports. I am Liz Kelly bringing you the highlights from the Ringer Podcast Network. It was a really big week over here at the Ringer. We released a trailer for the Andre the Giant documentary, which we're doing with HBO and the WWE. And we had our very first episode of the JJ Reddick podcast. We have been so excited about this over here, and his first episode did not disappoint. He brought on Joel Embiid, and in our first clip of this week, they talk about the process of realizing Embiid's own talents. What is, was there a moment? Was like, what was the first time where you were like, oh shit, I'm really good? Oh, I mean, I think it's kind of like fair to like uh, say that when I started playing ball, especially when I got to the state, uh, I mean, my junior year, I was playing JV literally with little kids, like <laughs> junior year in high school. Think about it. Uh, sit, and then, um, and then there was that moment during my junior year when I got called back up with the senior team and we played in the national championship tournament and I ended up having like a good semifinal and a good final. That's when people started seeing me. But like it was I was still not there. Like I wasn't good enough. Like I was just like a rim running big and black shot athletic. And uh I go to college. I playing my first pickup game against uh, all those guys. And then that's when I'm like, huh, I'm not ready for this. Like, <laughs> these guys were just too physical. And I don't know if, if you saw, if you seen my um, pics when I was like younger, like I was like so skinny. Uh, and then I went I went into coach self-office and then I was like, man, I don't think I'm ready. Like I want a red shirt. And then going into college, I thought I was going to be there for five years, four or five years, red shirt one year and then play for four years. And um, stuff happened. Uh, <laughs> I get to the league. I miss two years. Uh, I lose my brother, so I go through a lot. And when that time came for me to come back on the court and play my first game, I mean, I think my first game, I played like 24 minutes. And mind you, in college, I wasn't a scorer. Like, I was yeah. I was just rebounding the ball, blocking shot, pretty good defensively, offensively, regular hook shot, like typical big man. And um, my first game, I think I scored 20 points in 24 minutes. And then that's when I figured out that, like, damn, it's easy, like, it's not the, it's not easy to like thrive in the league or score in the league, but I was like, uh, and I was playing against Steven Adams, like big big dude and like really good defensively, and then I'm like twenty and twenty four minutes. Uh, so it wasn't until your first NBA game of that, your third that, season where you were like, uh, I'm I'm good, I can do this. It wasn't it wasn't even at that point. I think it was. Uh, I think I still haven't figured out yet. I think I'm still like going through a lot when I'm like, oh damn, like I'm really good. But like, I don't think the moment where I'm like, uh, this is the moment that I feel like, oh, I made it. Like I'm really fucking good. Like I'm like top five player in the league or some, uh, stuff, uh, something like that. Like I don't think that moment has come yet, but like there's some moments where like I do this type of moves and then I'm like, did I just do this? <laughs> like the dream shake or I don't know. Like sometimes I'm just like the Kareem hook shot. Yeah. Like I don't work on that. Like like because I know that like 
I'm just trying to focus on like certain areas of my game. But like me doing it in the game, I'm like, oh damn, I have a potential to do that. Like, and then that just shows me that, oh, I got so much, I got so much more to like work on and so much more to show. But I just think, um, I would say the first game, but I don't think the right moment has come yet. Unfortunately, moving on to much sadder basketball news, Clippers forward and potential Kardashian-cursed victim Blake Griffin suffered a knee injury on Monday, adding to an already just really ugly Clippers season. On the Ringer NBA show this week, Chris Vernon and Kevin O'Connor talk about the impact of Blake's injury. Clippers had won three in a row. and But have they really? You saw Blake go down and get injured. Um, and it sounds like he's going to be out for a long time. He has been plagued with uh, injuries throughout his career. What do we do here? It, do you think, I mean, they were already not having the season that some had expected <clears throat> you at the beginning of the year. Um, but they, and they'd already lost, they lost Pat Bev for a time. They had lost Gallinari. Um, I mean, do you think they can even be okay without uh, Blake Griffin? Or do you think that this now, especially without Paul on that team anymore, that they're just super dead without Griffin and that they're going to be a miserable team for two months? What do you think? Bad, bad, bad times are ahead for that team. (laughs) I, I think the Clippers are in serious, serious jeopardy of just falling off the rails. Um over this period of time that Blake Griffin's out, two to three months um, with a sprained MCL. Uh, I, I, I'd be extremely concerned, you know. Yes, they won three in a row, but those wins were against Atlanta, Sacramento, and the Lakers. It required 42 points from Lou Williams to beat the Lakers. Uh, you know, you needed 33 from Blake to beat the Kings in the final minutes, and then you beat the Hawks, whoop-de-doo. They they are a team where you look at those three wins in a row. If anything, those are actually losses because your team's going to be near the bottom of the barrel without Blake, and that that's the scary part because this team, you know, I you you said should I apologize? You said earlier should I apologize for Houston? Well, like I did last week or the week before, I, I was dead ass wrong about the Clippers. I I focused too much on the upside with that team. Where if Blake's healthy, if Gallo's healthy, if Patrick Beverly's healthy, and you know what. All three of them have gotten hurt already. Beverly, uh, Beverly's out. Blake's out. Gallo, you know, hopefully he comes back soon. They're in trouble, man. They're in they're in real trouble. It's only and it, how long is it until you fire Doc Rivers? Either I mean, there's so much wrong with that team um, from a chemistry perspective. Uh, the, you, your head coach, uh, uh, he is somebody who I think it's getting close to time to move on from. I I just feel like December or, or January, that team is just due for a serious implosion. And and I, I I I'm I'd be very nervous if I'm a Clippers fan, like our like our producer Isaac is. I'm sorry, Isaac, but it, it's 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 a bad place to be. Yeah. You know, you gotta feel bad. You know it's June when KOC can't even find any hope for your team. But there's just one more piece of bad sports news before we move on, and this one really stings for me. So on Tuesday, Giants QB Eli Manning was benched for backup Geno Smith in an atrocious move that angered and confused players and analysts, including Tate and Lombardi. In this clip from GM Street, they discussed the move. Like, I'm not an Eli fan. I think Eli's days are beyond him. But you can't treat a guy who's won two 
Super Bowls for you and whose name is on the wall of the stadium eventually like this. You just can't bench him in season. You've got to grin and bear it. You've got to suck it up. And if you do play somebody else, it can't be Geno Smith. And so this all comes out, and obviously a lot of people's first reaction was, I guess the Giants have already thrown the season. They're trying to go for draft picks, so they've made this decision to put Geno out there because they don't want to win football games. But that's not what Ben McAdoo's saying. He's saying he's benching Eli Manning because he thinks he has a better chance to win with Geno Smith as his quarterback, and you're saying that's not the case, right? I mean, there's there's no, no way that I can mean, be the case. Look, 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 they could have kept Eli in and still lost. I mean, they're two in, <laughs> they've won two games, right? Or they've won one game, right? Two games, yes. They've just won two games. two games. The Kansas City so, Chiefs, like, yeah, that was that was their last. That was probably the highlight of their season. They, they've won the one game. I mean, like they're going to win any more? I mean, right now they're they're sitting there with the 49ers, you know, for a chance to. Uh, and the 49ers beat them, right? The 49ers beat them in a game. So, mm-hmm. like, look, I, you know, they're sitting there with the second pick in the draft. No doubt if they keep playing Eli, they're going to get the pick. But this is beyond a pick. I mean, this is this is tanking on steroids. This is ridiculous, okay? The reality of the situation is Eli has won championships for you. Yes, he's not the same player. Yes, he can't do a lot of things. But this team is bad, whomever you put at quarterback. And so we can wait. Geno Smith, if you want to learn about Geno Smith – Go in the back room, go to your computer, put the 30 games he started for the New York Jets on, watch every throw he ever made. You'll learn everything you need to know about him in that tape. Because when you put Geno out in front of this bad line and you put Geno out in front of this offense, it's only going to get worse. So stop this. To me, this is what you get for hiring Ben McAdoo as your head coach. Look, I've said it. I've been on McAdoo's case since the day he got the job. I interviewed him when I was in Cleveland. I was least impressed for the person that he was. I didn't think he had a command about him. He doesn't have a command. And this behavior had to be stopped. But I think the key point here is this. John Mara had to sign off on this. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not doing this without John Maris. This is not a Jerry Reese, Ben McAdoo decision. This decision has to get approved by the ownership, and and they approved it. To me, that's the biggest mistake of all. So do you think of the Mara family in general, are they trying to send a sign to Eli Manning that, hey, we, you know, we, don't, we aren't necessarily tied to you. You're, you're too comfortable at this point. We want to send a message. Um, because it feels like it's sort of that thing because Ben McAdoo actually came out and he had his press conference uh, not too long ago and he says just because Eli got benched does not mean his time with the Giants is over as if he you know there's a chance he comes back and starts next week why did they let Giants. him go to press conferences like why did they they just got somebody's got to take the keys away from this guy like don't let him drive he you know my dad's 91 I don't want him to drive anymore it's the same thing with McAdoo he shouldn't be going to the podium like this is ridiculous of course his career is over with you just slapped him in the face you just disrespected him it's like Uncle Junior says to Tony, I show you my hand, you slap it away. I mean, he disrespected this guy. Look, I, we benched Bernie Kosar in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. We never won a Super Bowl in Cleveland. We never did anything. The fans went berserk because we benched him. And then we had to release him because he became a problem in the locker room. That was very difficult, okay? Perhaps if he wasn't a problem, if he wasn't a problem in the locker room, we would have kept on. But we had to do something to turn the team around. We made that decision. This guy's not a problem in your locker room. This guy isn't causing confusion on your team. This guy didn't get beat out by somebody else. In the in the Kozar situation, Testaverde played much better than him. That was pretty clear. This isn't that situation. And you've got you got flags hanging in your stadium that this guy won, whether it's the pass to David Tyree, whether it's the pass to Plexico Burris, whether it's the unbelievable throw to Mario Manningham in the end zone. I mean, he's won. Again, I'm not a fan. I think his career's beyond him. But to do this to him, I think, is an injustice. 
So to summarize this whole situation, McAdoo has shamed his two-time Super Bowl MVP quarterback, angered all of the Giants fans, and will probably still lose, so this is a bleak situation. If you need any more answers on the topic, Bill actually just put up a mailbag column dedicated to Eli Manning. In another instance where fans were outraged this week, last Sunday news leaked that Greg Schiano was set to become the new coach for the University of Tennessee, but the deal was quickly nixed due to public protests of the hire. On the press box this week, David and Brian discussed the handling of Shiano's situation. The speed at which the, the narrative arc uh, took place in this story is maybe the most compelling part of it, right? I mean, the, the distance between word leaking out that Tennessee was going to hire Shiano and then the you know, chorus of loud voices emerging online in various forms. And then the chorus of defenses of Shiano coming in largely from the sports writer contingent. Um, it seemed like it all happened. If you weren't paying attention, it all happened at the same time. Yeah. And a, a lot of, a couple of the reactions said, you know, this is unprecedented what's happening here. That people, that fans, crazy Twitter people, Clay Travis, should be able to rise up and get a coach knocked out of the thing. But yeah. to me, it's like the speed is what's interesting, as you say. This has been happening for years. Yeah. Remember firecoachsoandso.com? Sure. Remember when that was a thing? Mm -hmm. When I was at the University of Texas and we had our bad football coach, John Makovic, there was like a plane that flew over the stadium that said <laughs> flush the John. That yeah. was a good one. <laughs> um, that was the overused Twitter joke of the week, circa 1981 <laughs> over, or whatever yeah, that right. was. Overused plane joke of the plane flying over the stadium joke of the week. Uh, this is people have been exerting, you know, influence on these things if that's the word for it. Yeah, forever. It's not new. Well, what's new is that the uh, the way that I mean, the high the actual hiring process, the fact that it happens in in you know almost complete darkness. To the to the fan base and the general public, um, now there is a means of responding to it in time. It with the speed, you know, with almost the same speed at which is announced, you can express you you can express your discontent with that selection. Whereas even five years ago, um, you know, the fastest response was the the column in the sports page the next day. Absolutely, and we know they were going to hire him Sunday night. Right. The plan was to announce the hire. And this was what also made me cringe at some of the responses was essentially what you're saying is the press shouldn't have time to vet this idea. Right. Even if you ultimately come to the conclusion that the Penn State accusation is basically hearsay, there's no proof of it, we're comfortable with it, right? Sure. We're uncomfortable with the accusation, but we're comfortable with the idea because we've talked to Shiano and he assured us that it's not true. Right. You are bringing that scandal from a different school into your public university yes. to some level. Yeah. And why do a couple of decision makers at the school get to decide this with no buy-in from MBS? And why, if that's the case, why is the press rooting for that to happen? That's the craziest part. I mean, all of these football writers should be saying, you know, I disagree with – I mean, for whatever reason. I disagree with all these voices of fans and commentators that 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 upended the deal, but – Please get like like allow like I should have been able to make this case a week ago. Sure, you know? even to defend him. Exactly. That's Let's what have I, this. To, and the, the whole thing is they're saying this issue is so explosive that if we talk about it for a couple of hours, his whole thing will be his whole you know job will go go to hell. Yeah. 
And it's like, well, maybe if if it's that explosive, maybe we should talk about it. Exactly. Maybe we should talk about it. And by the way, the other thing I saw, I saw this from Pat Forty in his column about it, it says, oh, the, all this Penn State stuff was really a cover because people don't think that Greg Schiano was a good football coach. And they're using they're using the Penn State stuff to because they want they want John Gruden or they want whoever, you know, right. they're not gonna get him either, but they want somebody else. Went out with who's a By the way, if, if you thought that hiring Greg Schiano was a bad idea because you don't think he's a good football coach. That was also worth discussing. Yeah. That was also an argument worth having. Sure. So we are continuing the college football discussion on Ringer University. So on Monday, University of Alabama lost to Auburn in the Iron Bowl, which led to a discussion by Ben and Roger about the importance of dynasties like Alabama to college football. Do you think that college football is more compelling when the Alabama destruction machine occasionally falters? Because every college football season for basically the last 10 years has gone through Alabama. Um, Do you think that is a positive or a negative? You know, we always want to say that Alabama bores us, that, oh, I hate having Alabama be good every year. But I'm going to, it makes it more fun when there's a villain and some of the most some of the most memorable games of the last decade like i'd say like half of them are alabama losses cuz they're these weird you know glitches in the matrix that that we remember and we hold on to and normally it takes something ridiculous to beat them i i've i've come to appreciate alabama as this extremely powerful evil <laughs> in the sport that if if you get rid of it, uh, all of these great results lack meaning. You know, the kick six, mm-hmm. amazing. You know, uh, another Iron Bowl memory is Cam Newton coming back. The Cam back. Yes, in the in the Iron Bowl. If um, uh, you said Johnny, yeah, Deshaun Watson last year. So many of all all of the best games. Not all of them, but. When when Alabama loses, it it changes the college football world. It's the memory that we love and we we remember. And so I've come to I've come to terms with the the you know omnipresence of extremely strong Alabama. It's important that they not win every single game, though. Right? They've got to teeter that fine edge between being perfect and being. You know, just, just enough. good enough that they're you know you know they're 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 the most perfect dynasty that you could ever really create with a rotating cast of nineteen year olds. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I mean, I think the David versus Goliath point that you bring up is important, right? All of these games are meaningful because we know who the the person at the top is, and when you take that person out, it it means a lot more. I don't think that team always has to be Alabama. It just ha- has happened to be Alabama for the past decade. It could turn out five years from now that Clemson is that team. It could turn out that um, Ohio State rises back to glory and is sort of sitting at the top for a while. I think... Having one team, though, that is clearly the team to beat is really important for the sport because everything is more important when that team does go down. I don't think it necessarily always has to be Alabama, but Nick Saban happens to be a really good coach. And uh, yeah, and his teams are always going to be in the mix as long I mean, as he's yeah, there. If you look at other memories, it's it's like, you know, you go back to 2005 Rose Bowl. Yep, where, exactly. Where, or um, I wouldn't quite say the same about Miami losing to Ohio State. 
but you know, same idea where, where it, it's great when there's a team that's like that. But, you know, Alabama has really extended this chain of being that team for longer than, than some of the past, you know, dynasties. Cause normally it's based around a group of people who can only play for four years. Yeah, absolutely. We are moving on to wrestling now, so just before Thanksgiving break, Roman Reigns defeated The Miz on Raw for the Intercontinental title. On the Masked Man show this week, David Shoemaker and Bleacher Report's Dave Schilling questioned the reasoning behind Reigns' Intercontinental champion belt. Obviously, it's beneath him. Obviously, this is just like an, an, an effort to kind of prop up the show and give it a focus and give him a, give him a Grand Slam championship. Sure. So it's it's another another. Well, I'll tell you one accolade. thing that nobody cares about is Grand Slam championships. The only people that care about that are the people that hate Roman Reigns, and they're and you only care about a Grand Slam thing in retrospect. Also, oh, JBL look. cared because JBL got left off the WWE.com <laughs> list, and he tweeted about it. Uh, wow. I I think that there's there's no benefit to the belt either because the belt uh, was for years designed to give people who have nothing uh, to, give to a, do and who are on their way up something to do. To give a platform to people who deserve it. Imagine right? if Finn Balor won the IC title and what that would have done for him. It does nothing for Roman Reigns. It doesn't make him any stronger or cooler. He beat The Miz, who has been established as a coward. Sure. And who has been run down for his wrestling acumen by people like Daniel Bryan and by Roman Reigns for a long time. Yeah. And it's a belt that Roman Reigns doesn't really care about. He's never expressed any interest in it before. And now all of a sudden he's like, this is the most important belt in the entire company. And then you know, <laughs> you know, in two months when the Royal Rumble comes around, he's going to be like... I'm the universal title means more to me than anything else. Like, well, what about the intercontinental title? This, this is, is just, it's, it's all, it's, it's nonsense. I, I don't want to leave the subject. Another thing I'm not thankful for is it, the fact that there's no, they don't have a, any story plan for Finn Balor right now. He, well, he's getting beat up by Kane every week. That's the story. I mean, they're going to, is he going to feud with Kane? No, because that's Braun Strowman. He's just there to put Kane over. He's like, if like we're treating Braun Strowman like Brock Lesnar, he's not going to be there. And so... So, I mean, Finn literally ran in to save Jason Jordan and then was beat up for so Braun Strowman could make the save. Also, he did his entrance and Kane just stood there watching him. At some point, he has to not do the entrance. If he's doing a run-in, if he's a surprise, he should just run into the ring. He shouldn't stop and throw his hands in the air while the heel's it, yeah, looking at him. You're right, like and at some idiot. point, the heel in the ring, how great would it have been if Kane had just, when he came out and it was clear he's doing the entrance, Kane had just pointed at his wrist like he's checking his time and then just kept on beating up Jason Jordan. Yeah. He's like, I know I can do this for a while. I, 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 what if Finn just would have won the IC title? Like, let That's him what have I was that. saying. I know. Yeah, it would have been great. It would so, have been much better. This much is more not on my him. notes. You can look at my screen. This is not something I came in with. But if you want, if you, like, since I'm complaining here, let me let me fantasy book Roman Reigns. Oh, boy. In a way that WWE, WWE will approve of. We all know he's going to be fighting Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, save some crazy turn of events, Right. By the way, giving him the IC title and having him open Raw with terrible promos and putting him in the main event is a good start to ruining your WrestleMania main event. Great job. Well, they already started booing him again. Right. I know. That's what I'm saying. You're putting, putting him in position to fail. Here's what you do. Take a page from UFC 
And I know WWE's loath to do They're not. They do it all the time. Take a page from UFC. Have Roman Reigns just open the show. Not without. Don't don't give him the IC title. I'm I'm retconning that. Have him open the show and just be like, like I just I just talked to the producer backstage and Brock Lesnar is not scheduled to be on Raw for eight more weeks. That is embarrassing. And so I am your new interim WWE or Universal Champion until someone takes this. I haven't come out with the old belt until someone takes this away from me. I'm headlining this show. If Brock Lesnar wants to come show up and like be the champ, he can, but I know he's not going to because he's on a super part-time contract. I'm here defending this belt so that you guys can have someone to watch wrestle. Cheer me or boo me. I don't care. There you go. Your WrestleMania main event's already set up. It's great. It's simple because it's logical. Of course he would be pissed off. They should all be at the entire locker room should be angry. Brock Lesnar is not there every week and they probably are in real life as a shoot they're probably like this guy's never here he he parachutes in for a pay-per-view gets a big payday and he goes home and I have to be on the road every week yeah so why not include that in the storyline it doesn't even have to be a quote-unquote worked shoot like the Cena Reigns yeah, thing no, not at it's all. just it, people would say that in a real in wrestling K-Fabe. situation. People used to say that. I would I grew up watching Memphis wrestling. People would point out the fact that the champ didn't You're show up a in the studio. Paper champion. Yeah. Prove yourself. Face me. And you have months of that. Months of that. And for those who want more Shoemaker in their lives, if you check out our Andre the Giant documentary trailer that I mentioned earlier, you will hear a very familiar masked man voice. In our last clip of the week, we have the Bill Simmons podcast. The Warriors are vying for a fourth straight finals appearance set by their head coach, Steve Kerr, who appeared on the Bill Simmons podcast. He answered listener questions, so here's a clip from that interview, which includes some legendary Jordan practice stories. Uh, a couple of Jordan questions. Kevin Murray, the most intense Jordan practice story you can tell. You don't have to tell the story about the fight because everybody knows that one. Um, every, every day. Was there was no most intense. It was no, every day he was it a was psycho. Every day he was psycho, and that's I've never seen anything like it from any player that I've coached or been around. Um, practice meant so much to him, and everything was a competition. And he talked so much trash, and he literally drove some guys off the team, guys yeah. who couldn't take it because his whole philosophy was, "I'm going to talk trash, I'm going to put pressure on you, and you better be able to deal with that, otherwise you're not going to be able to." to be my teammate and there were guys he drove right out of the right. right out of the organization and it was it was amazing what happens if him and Draymond are on the same team somehow oh man that would be so I, I think would they Draymond, get along or would they fight to the oh, death no Michael would love Draymond yeah would love him you know because he because of how hard he plays and and Draymond I'm pretty sure would would have revered Michael yeah I was know? gonna say so I think it would have worked fine yeah, he probably would have tried to keep up with them in the casinos, which might not have been good for yeah, Draymond. You might not have, you might have to have a talk with Draymond. Now we're having a time machine conversation about Draymond. Uh, <laughs> Jason says, can you give us a story of MJ's inhuman competitiveness? This is a natural follow-up question. We used to have um, this this game. We called it the the, uh, the Jack Haley shootout. And <laughs> so every, for some reason, uh, every shoot-around – Jack Haley, rest his soul, passed away last year. Yeah. Um, great teammate, fun guy to be around. He was uh, he was our fifteenth man on the Bulls. He wanted to have a contest from the hash mark, and it started out as Jack and and me and Judd Bushler, I think, and the three of yeah. us. And Michael saw it happening, and 
Oh, no. He wanted in. Yeah. And before long, um, there were eight guys who took part, and we did it every shoot-around, and it was for money. Oh, no. And when Michael would win, it, you know, it's, you think about the hash mark. So it's out of bounds. You had to shoot from out of bounds at the hash mark, probably at 35, 40-footer. Yeah. And when he would make it, it was like he won game seven of the finals. I mean, it was insane. And there was money, you know, money involved. I can't remember exactly how much we shot for, but, you know, he demanded the money right away, and he talked so much junk about it. Did Randy Brown come over and hug him each time after he won? Yes, Randy took part. Randy was part of the Jack Haley shooting. Is there a Michael Jordan story you've never told before today, one that you've just kept buried on ice all these years? Maybe it was a Jack Haley shootout. I don't know you if told, I that told that one? Yeah, all right. We'll Maybe use that, that one. one. All right. Uh, one more MJ question. Was any player sneaky good against MJ in practice to the point that you were just shocked that they could go toe-to-toe with him? Mm. This is from Tyler. I guess the answer to that the was probably no. no. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no. Sorry yeah. Tyler. <laughs> uh, would MJ have won six titles without the triangle? That's from Sean in Warsaw, Indiana. I'm going to say No. I think no. less than six. I think less yeah. than six, too. Yeah. They could have made him move around and give up the ball a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But we, do you, the triangle can't work anymore at this point in time, right? You've borrowed pieces of it, but it can't actually work the way yeah, basketball's played I think now. It's, 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 it was hard to run back then. It took yeah. a special coach and a, and a special group of players. Obviously, you have to have talent in any offense, but. Um, that was a you know you had Tex Winter who was, invented the offense. You had this incredible coaching staff, and you yeah. had a, and you had a superstar who was ready to buy into it. I'll t- this is my favorite Michael Triangle story. Uh, yeah. I wasn't even there yet, but I heard the story the next year. Ninety one <laughs> uh, finals, they beat the Lakers. They finally break through, and Phil Jackson says to Michael halfway through the fourth quarter of the clinching game. Uh, they're they're double teaming him every time, and Michael's forcing some shots. And and uh, Phil says during a timeout, Michael, who's open? Yeah. And Michael won't answer. And he's like, Michael, who's open? And finally, you know, the third time, MJ, who's open? And Michael looks at him, says, Pax. And and Phil goes and throw him the effing ball. Right. Right. And and this is what was great about Phil. Like he would challenge anybody. And but he was you know he had this partnership with Michael, but he wasn't afraid of Michael, and so he challenged him. That was like the watershed Jordan kind of buying in moment, right? That was the moment. And if you remember, Pax hit five straight jumpers in the fourth quarter, breaks the game open, and I think that was the moment where Michael realized, as good as he was, he had to rely on his teammates. And that was the value of the triangle. Not that it made any difference for Michael, yeah. but it made all the difference for John Paxson and for me and for B.J. Armstrong and for everybody else. And, and that was, that's the whole point of any offense. Like we, it doesn't matter what we want. KD and Steph are going to keep people engaged. Fine. All right, that is the roundup for this week, you guys. You can find the full-length versions of all these podcasts and, of course, subscribe at theringer.com slash podcasts. I'll be back with hopefully better sports news next week.